welcome back to Crimes from the East. I'm your host, Pia, and with me is um, Eurostar, <laughs> Alex. Eurostar is in the train, right? Not the TV show. <laughs> Whatever rocks your boat, I guess. I wish it was the TV show. Hi. Alex is back in France, and we are back to record. And if I sound a little weird today, it's because I'm dealing with the tail end of a sinus infection. So I may sound like, um, I don't know, what do I sound like? A bagpipe? I think we both <laughs> kind of sound like old ladies a little bit today. I am just a victim of the seasons changing somewhat. <laughs> we sound like badgers. We're honey badgers today. Oh, I like that. Yeah, honey badgers from the east. Okay. Don't, don't mess with us. Don't mess with us. We'll okay. mess you up. And today is definitely one of those tough episodes. You know, we do this once uh, ever so often where the case is kind of a sensitive one. And today's case involves the violent death of a minor. Oh. So listener discretion is highly advised. Go listen to some of our other silly episodes where you can get a laugh and lighten up your day. But if you're looking for some levity, today's episode is not the one for you. Play it, but keep the volume just low enough that you can't actually hear it. Gosh, the whole time I was typing this out, I was like struggling because it's a child. And once you have a child, it affects you so much more because you can relate. You can relate to the parents. Yeah, it must be so scary. So, yep, this was a tough one to write. But also, if you're here, it's because you you want to see the spectrum of what humans are capable of. And I think that's a good thing to do because, you know, when you see the worst, you can appreciate the best even more. So it's not... It's not entertainment. It's not entertainment. And it's not something to be shied away from either because I think it's worth keeping in mind, like remembering these kinds of events. Yeah, you can maybe you can see the warning signs the next time. Yeah, know? something. Yeah. The story must be told. And we'll see by the end of the episode why this story has to be told, especially okay. now. I had wasn't aware. Hmm. The crime takes place in the high-flying city of Gurugram in North India. Gurugram is better known as Gurgaon, and it is right next to the Indian capital city of Delhi. Okay. place where there's much crime and a mm. lot of strife and corruption in the legal system and judiciary and cops are not the most dependable. So a murky, murky area. Mm. Gurgaon is a swanky city with lots of wealth all around and it's the third richest city in India. It has a significant tech sector and is also a major financial hub. By all means, it's a city where well-established families thrive in luxurious lifestyles and the upper middle class aspires to move on to the next rung. Is it like a sort of like a suburb city of Delhi and it's like a wealthier one? Like, is this where the rich Delhiites end up sort of place? Is it kind of its own ecosystem? Yeah, it's got its own thing going on. Okay. Delhi, especially its center, is old city. It's congested. It's dense. Yeah. And Gurgaon is more open. Okay. There were a lot of farmlands there that have now been developed into residential areas. Mm. There's a little more breathing room. 
So maybe it was a suburb and now it's turned it into its own beast, okay. so to speak. The beast of Gurgaon. That could mm-hmm. be the name of this episode. There are satellite towns around Gurgaon as well, where the rest of the regular people live in modest homes. So common folk live even further out. I feel like India, like China, it's one of these places where the cities have suburbs and then the suburbs have suburbs because everything's just at like such a massive scale grand scale compared yeah. to i don't know like paris which you can basically walk across the city and i mean paris is huge too but compared to india or china <laughs> don't even talk paris about is it. probably the size of delhi i don't know <laughs> delhi might cover all of paris yeah so yeah so one such you know, satellite town of Gurgaon is called Bhonsi, where today's incident takes place at the Ryan International School. And yep, you heard that right. The murder took place in a school. Also, this international school rings a bell. Really? You know, my parents have been in the international school circuit for a long time. As teachers? Yeah, yeah, not as murderers, um, as teachers. So did they ever work here or think about working here? I don't know. Maybe it came up like a friends of a, you know, teacher friends who work there. Or I think we kind of were aware of big international schools all around because they're all kind of connected in a weird way. True. True. Oh, I can't imagine. So let's dive into the actual incident first, and then we'll kind of extrapolate and break it out and discuss the intricacies of the case in more detail after that. Okay. Okay. On 8th of September, 2017. So this is what? Five years ago. Five years ago. Seven-year-old Pradyumn woke up cheerful and eager to head to school as it was his best friend's birthday. Oh, I remember days like that in school when it was like either my birthday or my friend's birthday. And it was so exciting. You know, these small joys of childhood Mm -hmm. where you're just excited to get the candy and you're happy to celebrate with your friends. Back when life was still exciting. (laughs) Yes, yes. Those were beautiful, beautiful days, beautiful moments. So Pradyum's mother, Sushma, lovingly waved goodbye as he along with his 11-year-old sister, got into the car and their father, Barun Chandra Thakur, drove them to school. Now, they used to actually go to school in the school bus, but their father had recently started to drive them to school because he was concerned for their safety. Now, Delhi is one of those areas where there's a lot of kidnappings, especially for ransom. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the same thing as um, in our Kathmandu case, right? Yes. Or kidnapping Mm -hmm. is just like another means of earning money. Barun Chandra Thakur wasn't taking any chances. And so at 7.55 a.m., Barun dropped the children at the school gates and he headed back home. At 8.05, which is barely 10 minutes after Barun Thakur had last seen his children, Mm -hmm. he received a call from a school teacher from Ryan International School. Now, he picked up the call, but the person on the other end was so emotional and kind of blabbering that Barun couldn't make out what was being said. The call disconnected. That's scary. And after a flurry of calls between him and the school, he was finally able to get a person on the line. 
who could talk to him. And that person informed Barun that Pradyumna had been found injured outside the bathroom on the ground floor of the school, and he was bleeding heavily. <sighs> so he had been taken to the local hospital in Badshapur. Now that's all he was told. Mm-hmm. So he raced to the hospital, but as he was on his way, he was called and told to now go to a bigger hospital called the Artemis Hospital because Pradyumna needed advanced care. Mm. And so Barun now drove to the Artemis Hospital. But on reaching there, expecting to comfort his injured son, he was instead met with the news that his son had lost his life mm. already. In, and this is all within like, what, an hour or two of dropping? Not even 30 minutes of dropping him off. Oh my God, that's insane. That would break your brain pretty much. It wouldn't compute. Like, yeah, I just, I just saw him. I wouldn't know. Yeah, I just saw him right there. What happened? So in a matter of minutes, the world had come to a standstill and everything had gone horribly wrong for the Takurs. Let's go over what happened at the school. Okay. At 8.05 a.m., students alerted school staff that Pradyum had been injured and was bleeding from two neck wounds mm. outside a bathroom near his classroom on the ground floor. Horrified school staff rushed to the bathroom and found seven-year-old Pradyum lying on the floor, bleeding profusely from grievous wounds on his neck. There was a lot of blood, and the poor child had been trying to crawl out <gasps> of the bathroom into the corridor and trying to stand up, but he couldn't because he had lost a lot of blood, and so he kind of yeah. fell down and collapsed. Neck wounds will get you pretty fast, hey? Yeah. Outside, around the corner, the school bus conductor, Ashok Kumar, was washing up at a sink when he heard the commotion and he was called by the staff to come and help carry Pradyum to a car Hmm. belonging to one of the school teachers. So Ashok Kumar, he rushed in, he picked up the bleeding child and then drove Pradyum to a nearby hospital, which was the one in Bhatshapur, along with the staff. But from there, they were transferred to the Artemis Hospital in Gurgaon where he was declared deceased on arrival. Quite a flurry of activity. No one knows clearly what's happened. They found a bleeding child, Mm -hmm. took him to the hospital, and he's been declared dead. What could have gone wrong in those minutes after Pradyum just arrived in school? It doesn't seem like enough time for him to have gotten into a fight or... Yeah, he's seven years old. How much of a fight could he get into with... Yeah. Doctors determined that he had been stabbed twice in the neck with a small knife, probably severing the carotid artery. Okay. Now I say probably because the exact details of this case are not released to the public yet. Okay. Trigger warning. Yep. Definitely trigger warning. There are some terrible details coming ahead. The first wound was a laceration in the front of the neck, but the second one... Ah was a deep cut starting from just under the chin in an upward direction all the way till behind the boy's ear. So as if someone has jammed the knife in Mm. under the chin and then forcefully slashed all the way up. Oh, God. 
Now this slashing would require considerable force and strength. So it had to be a much larger and taller individual who did this. This is not some schoolyard okay. fight yeah. that went wrong. Yeah. No way. No way. It was clear that this wasn't an accident. It was a brutal, cold, calculated murder. Hmm. So Pradyum's parents were the ones who called the Haryana State Police from the hospital. So far, the school hadn't even called the cops yet. What? No, they hadn't. Jesus. They started to canvass the school by noon that very day and started to collect forensic evidence to lodge a case of homicide. Let me just mention some of the sources for today's episode here. There are a lot of news articles, India Today, Times Now, Hindustan Times, The Hindu. I've gone over like two dozen and more articles to try and glean as much information as I could. Mm -hmm. But there is also a documentary on this case that we'll talk about later that shows a lot of the video recordings of the crime scene on the day after the day. Oh, like the forensic footage? Yes. And you can see that someone has tried to clean up that hallway, clean the blood. Not the perpetrator, not the perpetrator, mm. but the staff in the school had wiped up the blood in the hallway to try and clean it up. This is 2017. Like, there have been enough true crime and crime dramas that anyone anywhere in the world should know that's not what you're supposed to do. And it may have been well-intentioned. Maybe they were trying to shield the other children from having to see that. But God, you know, that is so stupid. Please, why? There's got to be like some more sensical protocol. They didn't have, they clearly didn't have any kind of training or protocol or even common sense to call the police. That's what I'm saying. Like They didn't even call the police. It's 2017. We've had all of the CSIs and I'm sure there's like, a dozen reiterations around the world of the same kinds of shows. Like In a school, you maybe you can't rely on common sense. They should have had a protocol. They should have had the training directions to say, in case of emergency, do A, B, C. Right, yeah. So that yeah, in yeah. a state of panic, you don't have to think about it. You can just follow that A, B, C. I mean, this is not a situation where you can be calm and be like, okay, let's no, do this. It is sure. horrific to look at and see. And those teachers... Teach those kids every day, you know, it obviously would have affected them psychologically. Yeah, of course. But I I just don't see how, like, you don't call the cops immediately. And then the cops would tell you, don't touch anything. Wait for us to get there. Put all of the kids in classrooms and don't let them out. Like, So the kids were actually in the classroom by that time because I think 8 o'clock is when the classes start. So there weren't any kids outside, thank God, at that time. There was a parent who was right there by the reception, you know, paying the fees or whatever. So he had seen the commotion of people running in and out, and he had seen someone cleaning up the floor, and he actually asked that staff to stop doing that. Okay. He's the one who's like, stop touching that. The cops need it for evidence. Mm. I don't know how much bearing all that had on the case, but mm -hmm. it just kind of goes to show that there was no plan or protocol in place for the staff to deal with you know, tragic incidents like this. They definitely dropped the ball in terms of not calling the cops yeah. at that time. 
So almost immediately, the Haryana State Police zeroed in on the first person that they came across in their haphazard investigation on that day. And that person was, can you guess? The bus driver. The bus conductor, Ashok Kumar. Ashok Kumar. On reviewing cell phone recordings from the staff at that time, they found that Ashok was at the scene with blood on his shirt. And they observed him highly distraught, breathing heavily with a raised heart rate, which they could visibly see affecting him. Mm -hmm. They construed these reactions as a sign of guilt and fear. (sighs) And within hours, Ashok Kumar was taken into custody for questioning. Hmm. Why? Because, you know, he's the poor man at the scene. Easy target. By 10 p.m. that very night, that very night, the Haryana police paraded Ashok Kumar outside for the media no. where he could be seen oh. confessing to the murder. Why? Why is it always like this? Albeit with a blank stare, he really looked like a deer in the headlights. There is footage of this on YouTube and even in the documentary you can see it. He's simply parroting the words, I did it, I killed the boy. He stumbled upon me doing something inappropriate in the bathroom, so I killed him. <gasps> None of this was making sense and it just seemed like a staged performance in some way. Now, usually, police do not let accused suspects speak like that to the media and will typically hide their faces with a cloth or a t-shirt and whisk them away from the public. That's why a lot of the pictures you see of suspects, you'll, you'll see them with cloths on their face. They look like hostages. But in this case... Weirdly enough, they were parading Ashok Kumar outside and letting him say all of this in front of dozens and dozens of TV cameras. It's like because this was such a violent crime with such a young victim, everyone lost their minds and just didn't. I mean, that's me giving the police the benefit of the doubt that normally they would have done their due diligence. But maybe, you know, the cleaning up of the blood and this like very rushed and almost kind of impulsive reaction to try and resolve the situation is because everyone's so like shocked by the extreme nature of the crime and the victim. But the police, the state police... They're supposed to be able to handle this kind of stuff, right? They're supposed to be able to preserve evidence, confessions, all of this, till at least he's presented in court and has his day in court, right? Like I said, that's me giving the benefit of the doubt. Like, maybe that was just too much. They don't do this for all cases. Is this sus, though, or is this just incompetence? In the documentary, the journalists themselves are very suspicious of this because they're like, we never get to talk to suspects like this. Hours after they've been taken in, we never get to talk to them. It's usually after months or years, after at least the court case is going on, maybe after appeals or whatever, that sometimes we get a soundbite or two. Suspects aren't standing outside for like 30 minutes talking to media like this. It's not normal. If they found it weird, I find it very weird. Yeah, I was just going to say, if they're complaining that there's something fishy going on because they're getting access, then you know that something really, really strange is going on. Did any evidence point to Ashok, you think? Well, mind you, evidence was recovered. It's not like there was nothing. Okay. A small bloodied knife was recovered from inside the toilet where 
the crime had taken place. So let me try to explain the layout of the crime scene. There is a bathroom, which has kind of a common area right when you enter the bathroom. And then there are stalls in the back, individual toilet stalls, six toilet stalls in the back. Okay. And so the murder took place in the right stall all the way in the back. And in that bathroom, they have an Indian-style commode, which is a squatting commode Mm -hmm. or squatting toilet. Oh, my God. You can see that in the documentary. It is a scene of horror. There's just blood everywhere. (sighs) You can see the knife in the toilet. Oh, my gosh. It's been dropped right there. And so that knife was recovered. Fingerprints were recovered from behind the door of that bathroom stall. Okay. They got fingerprints from there. And there is CCTV footage from the two cameras that were facing the corridors outside of the bathroom door. The bathroom door opens into an L-shaped corridor. And there are two cameras facing the entrance of those two corridors. You can't see the bathroom door, but you can see who's coming in and out of that corridor that leads to the bathroom door. Okay? Okay. Let's talk about that CCTV footage and what they saw at that time, okay? I mean, I'm guessing they saw Ashok. The footage does show Ashok entering the bathroom, staying there for approximately 8 to 10 minutes or so. But leaving around the time that Pradyum enters the bathroom at 7.55 a.m. He was there, but he left. But he was actually time traveling, right? Somehow. Then, in a few minutes Pradyumn bleeding and attempting to crawl out of the bathroom oh, via the corridor. I don't want to. Now, the gardener is seen entering the corridor at this point when he finds Pradyumn on the floor. Who? The gardener? Yeah, the gardener. Okay. He was called by someone. Also seen entering and exiting the bathroom around this incident is an 11th grade student. A 17-year-old that the officials have nicknamed Bholu meaning the innocent one or simpleton or whatever. Like, okay. To protect his identity since he was a minor at that time. Today, of course, he would be, what, 22 years old? But he was 17 at that time. So, Bolu, the 17-year-old, was the prime witness and first on scene. He is the one who alerted the gardener and the teachers about the injured Pradyumna lying near the bathroom. This guy, Bolu. Yeah, Bolu. On the CCTV, you see Pradyum entering the school building, walking down the hall with his bag on. Walking near him is another taller person with their shirt untucked, possibly with his arm on the younger child's shoulder. In any case, walking right next to him. Then suddenly, Pradyum does an about turn and heads to the bathroom. Okay, he turns around and heads to the bathroom. We're not sure if something is said to him to make him go there or if he just felt he needed to go to the bathroom. It's not clear because there's no audio. Okay. Then, 20 seconds later, we see that older, taller figure enter the corridor with the bathroom door. So that person who was walking alongside him follows into that corridor that goes to the bathroom. And after that, we see the person exit from the other side of the corridor 72 seconds later. And Pradyum is immediately reported injured. And that figure is identified as 
that student. Bolu. Okay. After informing the gardener and a couple of teachers about Pradyumna, Bolu heads up to his class on the second floor, I believe, because he was late for his English exams. He just sits there the whole time, not writing a single word on the paper. Understandably, if you've just witnessed such a horrific scene, you would be mentally disturbed, so I don't find that all that odd or anything. After the exam, his friends asked him what was going on, and he tells them that he saw a little boy laying there bleeding, asking for help. He tells a few of the boys that he would never do anything like that since the boy reminded him of his own little brother. Yeah. So he asked them if they thought that he could commit such a crime, which they thought that was a weird thing to say. Like, why would you, why would you say that? Now, the incident took place on 8th of September. The bus conductor Ashok Kumar was taken in the same day right. by the Haryana State Police and unofficially kind of declared the killer that same night. However, after a week on 13th of September, the chief minister of the state declared that the CBI, an elite group of highly trained investigators, will be taking over the case from the state police. This is kind of like how the FBI comes in and takes the case from the local cops. It's kind of like that. Okay. Then on the 19th of September, suddenly Haryana police discovers that there's the 17-year-old prime suspect or witness or whatever, and they take him to court to record his official statement as the prime witness. Okay, so all this while, this boy's name was nowhere. Yeah. This prime witness. Right. His name was nowhere. But when the chief minister declares that the CBI is taking over, all of a sudden they're gonna, they have to clean up their mess. Yeah. So they're like, oh, wait, oh, we forgot there was a prime witness. What is going on? This is all just so like mysterious at this point remember this is Haryana near Delhi mm. yeah a few days later on the 23rd of October the CBI finally takes over okay they now CBI has the CCTV the fingerprint evidence the testimony of other students and they try to figure out what's going on in this convoluted crime the CBI allows for the courts to grant bail to the bus conductor Ashok Kumar as they do not see irrefutable evidence against him just yet. And remember, the confessions to police are not admissible in court. They can only be used to further the investigation. So the confession that Ashok Kumar had made in front of the media and cops, whatever, blah, 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 is not relevant, basically. Okay. Good? Yes, good. The CBI questions all the high school students, especially the ones who were more friendly with that 17-year-old witness, Bholu. A disturbing pattern of callousness emerges. One student said that around three weeks before the attack, Bolu had claimed that he would stop the exams and the parent-teacher meeting somehow. He really wasn't looking forward to it because he wasn't doing well in school. So Bolu claimed to that student that he had brought poison to the school and he even showed the student an empty bottle laying outside the bathroom window. He told the bemused student that he had mixed the poison into the water bottle of a girl in his class. Oh my god. And they both watched as that girl opened the bottle and brought it to her <sighs> mouth. Then she smelled something strange and noticed that vapors, vapors mm -hmm. were coming out of the bottle. Smart so she girl. threw it away. Good for her. Oh my god. <laughs> so lucky. Do, do we think he actually did this or is this just a story? 
there is a witness. Someone is testifying to this anecdote. That's crazy. Oh my God. This whole story, just like, how do you trust anything? I mean, what a narrow escape for that girl. Yeah. So he was doing poorly in school and he was just looking for any excuse to get out of his exams, but in like a demented psycho way. Mm hmm. Okay. The student was upset, but he didn't want to go to the authorities. He instead did tell other students and they all relayed the scandalous tale to their study coach. Tutor? Tutor, yes. So they told their tutor, after school tutor. Now the coach or tutor was an ex-student of the school and he used to help the high school students prep for exams. Mm -hmm. He knew of Bolu vaguely because Bolu was the keyboard player in the school and he played at assembly every day and also at every musical event. He was pretty shocked that Bolu had apparently claimed to try literally poisoning Another student to get out of exam. That's crazy. I'm getting very, um, what's the main character? Uh, Norman Bates vibes from this kid with the piano and the, I don't know. There's just something really creepy. You'd wonder why nobody reported this to a teacher or another parent. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. If, if it were me and someone told me this, that, hey, I'm poisoning someone's water, I would 100%. Yeah, I'm Go tattling. to my parents. I would go to my parents in the least. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm tattling. I'm tattling instantly. I'm snitching. Mm-hmm. I'm ratting. I'm being that person. But I, I, I keep wondering if maybe my reactions are a little bit like extreme because I am more used to American like prison school culture where right. there is a protocol and there is an expectation for children to be unhinged and bad things to happen and maybe like in other places it's not like that but apparently it kind of can be and is indian schools are definitely very different there is a lot more discipline and authoritarian culture (laughs) culture in schools there it's not like you can just go and do and say whatever you want yeah i'm sure in a lot of schools teachers are still beating the shit out of their students even now yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what stopped them from telling others. Maybe they've just felt like they would be associated with it and dragged into it. And these are students who are within, you know, a few months going to graduate to grade 12, which is supposedly like the most important year in school mm-hmm. because it determines what college you get into. No one wants to mess around with those grades and your character certificate and all that stuff. Yeah. So maybe they just didn't want to be dragged into something like Mm. that. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Perhaps they weren't sure that it was a fatal poison or even if it was a poison at all, right? They may have not wanted to get Bolu into trouble unnecessarily, right? They don't know that it was actually some killer poison. Maybe it was just laxatives or something i feel like maybe it was just all a little too weird to like be real somehow you know exactly exactly but perhaps there was another reason for their doubt bolu's parents were or are well off okay Mm. his father is a lawyer and their family apparently allegedly has a lot of okay very valuable property worth like 50 million dollars and up I see where you're going, I think. I say allegedly. 
Yeah. Because I can only find these kind of details in discussion forums online. So it could just be rumors or small town gossip or whatever. Speculation. There's no smoke without a fire. A lot of people are saying that they are influential. They have some influence in the community. They mm. do have wealth mm. and connections. I mean, I'm not saying there are any kind of mafia or gundas or whatever. That's, That's not an explanation that kind of makes sense. Not the gundas mafia part, but that they are people of influence so that you wouldn't want to get involved. Mess with them. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Because unfortunately in India, money talks. Money talks. Mm -hmm. If you have money, I mean, actually that works anywhere. <laughs> if you have money, you can get out of any situation. And if you're pointing the finger at someone with money, they could very well just have you entrapped instead. Mm -hmm. So maybe people are afraid of that. Mm. Now, there were rumors flying around town that the bus conductor may have been paid off by the father to accept blame on the first day just to take the attention off of Bolu for the mm. moment. And again... We don't know if any of this is true at all. It could just be bullshit. Mm -hmm. Just total bullshit. Now, Bolu was a lone recluse. He was a quiet and awkward teenager. He kept to himself a lot, mostly just focusing on his keyboard music and stuff. He was very average at studies. And his parents claimed that they never pressured him to excel academically at all. They encouraged his musical talents instead. They were like, fine, you, you, know, you don't have to be a doctor or whatever. You can pursue music. I find that unusual for a Desi family, yeah. but not suspicious. <laughs> like, it's not suspicious. It, it's unusual, yes. But things have changed a lot in India. Parents are finally seeing the benefit of supporting their child's aspirations mm -hmm. instead of forcing their own on them. Mm. It's possible, entirely possible, that Bolu's parents were kind and understanding in that regard. We don't know. What we do know is that Bolu often paid other students to do his homework. And he was handing out cash for all kinds of errands and even just for fun. He was like buying people snacks and drinks and all that kind of stuff. Okay. He was known to be a big spender, like always throwing about cash. It's almost as if he were trying to buy his way into the cool kids club. I was just so going to say, or it sounds like somebody was trying to buy himself some friends. Exactly. He desperately wanted to be popular. I mean... In the documentary, the students say this. They literally say that he desperately wanted to be famous and popular and well-liked in school. Neighbors of Bolu say that he was kind of a mean boy who screamed at and even beat up the little kids in the neighborhood, especially if they made fun about his weight because he was a little overweight. Okay. I mean, that's fine. I mean, yeah. I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. That's not something too out of the ordinary if some little kid was teasing me about being overweight i might slap the shit out of him too not now <laughs> you know if i was a child myself oh man i'm so scared of children i really don't want to get made fun of by a child i don't know the constitution to handle it the cbi got all these testimonies and in information from the students and whatnot and they suddenly realized that they had a disturbed teenager at hand who allegedly tried to poison someone just weeks ago mm -hmm. and who happened to be the prime witness to the murder of Pradyum. Coincidence? Maybe. But evidence says otherwise. I mean, the CCTV thing just seems to, seems to really package it quite neatly. 
in any case, the minute they say CCTV, I'm like, done. Yeah. Solved. I mean, you saw who went in. You saw when they went in. You saw who came out. You saw when they came out. Exactly. Because it's a school. There's, I don't know, thousands of witnesses as to who was and wasn't in the class. Right? Especially because exams were going on right. at that time. All the students were in class writing exams. The 11th grade had their English paper that day. Yeah. Bolu wasn't in class. Everyone else is sitting there writing their exam. There's one big empty seat. And Bolu said he was off meeting the music teacher or looking for the music teacher at that time. Excuse me, what the hell? I mean, clearly lying because the CCTV puts him in the bathroom. Also, if you have examinations going Why are you on, gonna see hell, her? Are you? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you off looking for the music teacher? I did think when you said this thing about him sitting in class, not even writing the exam, that like somehow he did maybe think that he could get out of having to write the exam if there was like a big commotion caused. Yeah, like I was so affected by this, I can't write the exam. Or maybe he was even waiting for like the exam to get called off or school to get canceled. School was not canceled, by the way, FYI, nice. at least for half the day. Students were in school till noon almost after when the parents were called and students were dispersed. So Jesus. everyone did have to write the exam that day. Well, that, that also doesn't seem quite right to me, but fine, fine. <laughs> if you think about it, it makes sense because having the students inside of a classroom just, just writing their paper is much better off. Keeps the calm. While they figure out what to do. Those are some like cursed papers though. Bolu's laptop was confiscated by the CBI, and they found some chilling internet searches. He had searched on how to poison someone. <laughs> okay, Weeks this is not funny, but like the murder. Whenever that happens, it's like, why? Why are you searching? I mean, there's got to be a more subtle way of doing that search, right? This kid clearly was not all... I guess Bolu is a good name. Yeah, Bolu is right, if this is what he did. And he also searched for how to remove fingerprints after the murder. So he kind of incriminated himself a little bit. Of course, I mean, internet searches... I don't know if they, how, how much bearing they have on um, getting someone convicted. It points you in the right direction, though. If you look at my internet search... Uh-oh, Pia, what are you planning? Think about all the research I do for all these episodes. Yeah, but you're not looking like, how do I kill a person with a shoe? You'd be surprised. I have searched for shit like that because <laughs> I, I do a lot of research about this stuff, so... I don't know. I think there's a difference because, like, you might see in my search history, like, how long does it take to die of asphyxiation? Right, right. The approach, I think, in the search is usually from, like, a finding out about, like, the victim's hmm. experience. Nah, I don't even know. It's different. Come on. We have, we have that freedom. We can search for whatever we want. Yeah. But put together with all the other evidence, it provides some context. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. No one else in the school searched this. Only this guy searched this. Weird, yes. Culpable because of it? Maybe no. Maybe no. But weird, yes. It was weird. So I guess you're fine until a body shows up, Apia. 
Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm fine as long as no one dies <laughs> in, a, in a square mile around me. So the CBI was able to prove that Bolu had purchased a knife similar to the murder weapon from the local market just days before the murder. Again, by itself, not a big deal. Anyone can go buy a knife. But all the pieces are coming together. Yes, it's like pieces of a puzzle that were coming together. Circumstantial by themselves, but put together, kind of almost makes a solid case against this Polu fellow. And also, let's not forget the CCTV footage, which shows two individuals walking into the bathroom corridor, and minutes later, one emerges alive and the other is dead. What yeah. does that mean? How much more? What does that mean? I know. Along with all this other evidence, it gave the CBI enough cause to bring Bolu in for questioning. Finally, a couple of months after the murder. So the 17-year-old was interrogated by the CBI for a solid 10 hours in the presence of his father and a juvenile welfare official. So they can't claim that he was tortured or whatever later. And by the end of the day, they had a confession from Bolu. Hmm accepting the murder. He did it. Bolu was taken to the crime scene so he could relate exactly what he did that day. I think there is some video of this in the documentary as well. They blur it out, but you can see him pointing out okay. like I went there and this is how I I held his head and slashed <sighs> his neck. Boy, it was hard to watch. The motive, he said, for the murder was to escape the exams and the parent-teacher meeting. So he had purchased and brought a small knife to school, and he was going to injure or perhaps kill a child to create chaos in yeah. the school. Yep. That was it. That was it. That was his entire reasoning to Damn. kill a child. That's insane. Little Pradyumna just happened to be there. Okay, so it wasn't him. It could have been anyone. He was just... He hadn't specifically yeah. sought out Pradyumna. He just happened to be there when he was looking for a victim. The poor child lost his life for such a senseless reason. And not to say that any reason would make sense, but just that this is not a normal line of thinking. You know, by Malaria me. makes sense to me. And unlike a lot of school shootings that you see in the U.S. where killers have tried to use lame excuses of bullying and such as justification, there is no cruelty or bullying that Bolu was suffering from. And let me be clear, this isn't a contest to see who is more guilty. Yeah. All killers are guilty yeah, yeah. when they are convicted in a court and they deserve to be punished in accordance with the law. But just come on, you... You want to escape exams? Pull the fire alarm or something. I think that's a really good um, example of sort of the school cultural differences between India and the U.S. is like the violence caused by children in American schools is very like comes from this emotional like deprivation and fear like right. bullying and then in an Indian school I'm only laughing because this is really sad um, it's because of like the pressure of academics and um, 
tiger parenting, even if it's passive. And sometimes it's not even the parents, but just the expectations of society. Yeah, in society and in the school. I have um, a side theory going back to that idea that maybe the parents paid the bus driver, Ashok, to confess, even if it wasn't to like get him to actually go to jail for the crime. Maybe it gave a little bit of... Um, Confusion, doubt basically makes the the next confession puts a big question mark over it what's the word i'm looking for but it, it like yeah plants this it plants the seed of doubt for any future confession and you know it it makes the police seem illegitimate somehow and incompetent we don't know yeah. If that happened, it's rumors, but it's possible. He was a poor man, right? Even today, he's not doing well. Could they have paid off the state police, though? Oh, of course they could have. Of course. To do the same thing, but because, like, even if he confessed, the behavior of the police is what's actually kind of fishy because they normally wouldn't do a press statement like that right and then as soon as it got changed hands from the state police to the cbi mm -hmm. you have them like oh wait oh yeah actually we have that because they realized oh shit we're about we're to get be caught. caught in the documentary you see the commissioner police commissioner uh talk about this and he wasn't um in town that time the commissioner was away in some other state on business and so the mm -hmm. deputy commissioner had taken charge of the case and so the commissioner does say that if something wrong was done by the police on that day, investigate. We were not trying to protect anyone. If something wrong has occurred, we are happy to cooperate and it's gonna come out. Yeah. call those guilty police officers out, basically, is what he's saying in the documentary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes and whatnot, but at least he's saying that, which is a big enough deal in my in my opinion because a lot of these cops won't ever speak against each other and we see that in u.s as well right cops always have each other's back doesn't matter what kind of crime they themselves commit so yes at least this commissioner is okay to say fine maybe something wrong happened let the investigation find that out mm -hmm. what the hell kind of crime is this like no matter how awkward lonely or outcast you might feel like you don't just decide to kill someone to get out of exams it screams of some dysfunction in the brain for sure mm -hmm. for sure and no matter what happens three families have been affected by this tragedy the takurs bolu's parents and of course let's not forget the bus conductor ashok kumar who struggled to find a job for 2 years after his arrest he even refused monetary compensation from the state and demanded that the Haryana police be investigated for his torture mm. and coerced confession. See? Oh, man. I'm convinced of my own theory that I pulled really mostly out of my butt. <laughs> that the cops were just kind of parading him for some reason. Mm-hmm. It's not so um, unbelievable, that's for sure. Now, this murder took place in 2017. It is now 2022. Still, the court case for this murder has not commenced. What? In fact, the only matter that has been tried in court so far is whether Bolu should be tried as an adult or a juvenile. 
I mean, he's an adult now. <laughs> so he was going to be tried as a juvenile, but Pradyum's parents contested that fact and they demanded uh. that he be charged as an adult. And so the court, Supreme Court, still has not come back with a decision on that. He is an adult now. He's 22. Yeah. What the hell is going on? It can't possibly take that long for such a simple decision, even if COVID affected it in like 2020 or whatever. But also this whole like naming him Bolu, Bolu, painting this picture. It just feels like there's some strings behind the scenes being pulled in favor of this kid at every step. Subliminal messages and subliminal actions trying to influence the case. Was his confession pretty much convincing? They don't really show the full confession in the documentary, but the CBI considered it good enough to at least let the bus conductor go. Yeah. And to try and charge him, although they haven't yet taken the case to court, but at least they tried to charge him. Those fingerprints found on the doorknob and on the knife were his. I don't believe they found any fingerprints on the knife. Oh, okay. But they did find fingerprints behind the door of the stall where the murder took place. I just feel like there is, at this point, enough evidence to let the doubt be taken care of in court. There's no reason to hold up. Right. Take the case to court. Fight it there. Let the legal proceedings commence as they should. There is enough evidence for it to be tried in court. And I generally don't pick ongoing cases because we don't know the verdict, right? And how to feel about the whole thing. But Mm. I felt compelled to talk about this case today because it worries me Mm. that there is no resolution or even progress in this case. If you Google about the Pradyumna Thakur murder, there is no progress in the last couple of years. Nothing. Articles are all from 2017 and 2019. So what is going on? Why is there a delay in getting justice for poor Pradyumna and his parents? I mean, they lost a big part of themselves. His sister is left longing for her baby brother. Mm-hmm. Pradyumna's father, Barun, he comes across as an extremely rational and patient man. In the documentary, you can see him talking about this whole thing. And he has difficulty keeping up with the numerous court appearances that he has to do for this Juvenile, not juvenile, whatever, that case that's going on. Mm-hmm. And the eventual delays that he has to deal with, it affects his work, obviously. He has to support the family. Yeah. Is it going to be another decade that he has to keep running around the courts to try and get justice for his son? Is this delay simply a diversion tactic to erase Pradyum's case from the public eye? I mean, certainly the further away the like event is, the, the softer it hits, you know what I mean? The citizens' outrage dies down, yeah. Yeah, it won't be as fiery, like there won't be enough pressure on the judicial system to dispense justice like 10 years after the case, you know? Now, local cops can be influenced, but the CBI is a Mm. premier agency. It's made up of very highly educated and apparently principled investigators who are supposed to be satyanveshi, you know, truth seekers. Mm -hmm. The expectation from them is very high. And I really hope that they are still actively working on this case and not letting it go cold. That's my hope. 
An eight-year-old who had his entire life ahead of him has lost that chance of living. And if indeed the murder was committed by this then 17-year-old, then he needs some intense treatment and certainly shouldn't be let out on the streets for a very long time. Although the longer they put off his court case, the more they can say, ah, oh, he was young. Yeah. He didn't know what he was doing. But now he's, he's not Bolu anymore. And time served, right? There shouldn't be that clause that time served, like give him 10 years, but time served, he's already served six years in other custody. Well, Pradyum was a very loving, cheerful, empathetic child who was very attached to his family, especially his father. Every evening after Barun Thakur came, Thakur came home, tired from work, Pradyum would come up to him and ask him to play cricket with him. <laughs> and he would say, Papa, if you're tired, you just sit there on this sofa and throw the ball to me. I'll hit it with the bat from here. He was just, you know, a big cricket fan and he just wanted to have fun. A very sweet boy, like you can see pictures of him and he just seems such a sweetie. Oh God, I shed so many tears writing, <laughs> writing this whole part. Yeah. Poor kid. And now his mother, Sushma, sits in his room, often looking at no. all the cards that he drew for them. Everything in his room is as Pradyum left it on 8th September 2017. Until they get justice, the Thakurs feel trapped in a limbo. We need justice for Pradyum Thakur and we need it now. So all the listeners that feel something about this and want to do something at least at least you know let's get the hashtag going of justice for pradyum social media has some impact these days so you know every little bit helps and i guess that's it for today's case tough but i felt like it was needed what do you think alex final thoughts you think bolu did it kind of you definitely have led me down that rabbit hole how much evidence will it take to believe that he did it. He confesses. There's video footage. There's fingerprints. fingerprints. He bought a knife. He was searching up murder tactics. Like, I think he did it. This whole name of the kid throws this thing into question. Ah, well, maybe he wasn't all there. Hmm. Is that an excuse? No. Is that like a, a explanation? Maybe. But in any case, even if he was not mentally well... There are consequences, right? The, and, and it does seem like he had maybe made, quote-unquote, cries for help in the future that were not addressed. Right. Maybe, but the whole keeping his identity a secret and keeping a secret, you know, keeping this shroud of mystery around the situation, I don't think it's helping. It's not helping. And he is no longer a juvenile, right? Yeah. He's now yeah. 22. I have never seen someone so fiercely protected. It smells like fish. Um, can we talk about this documentary that you watched? Okay, yes. Little lawbreaker. Yeah, so there's a documentary called A Big Little Murder on Netflix. Netflix produced this documentary. And it was banned in India by the high courts. Because, Why? Because the school... Petitioned. Petitioned. <laughs> yes. The Ryan International School did not want its name 
sullied, you know, by association with this crime in the media. They, I don't know what their problem was. It did take place on your grounds, so... Yeah, well, it's a private school, so yeah, they probably could take a pretty big financial hit, but... The owners of the school were picked up by cops. I believe they were sent to jail for a little while, but they were out on bail because a lot of lack in security was found on the school grounds. Yeah, they have something to hide. They hadn't done a lot of security checks for their staff members, like police verification and stuff, which you're supposed to do. They were lacking in that area. A lot of their CCTV cameras were not working on that day. Oh, wow. So we're kind of lucky if you can. And the fact that they didn't call the cops was also a big deal. So, I mean, they didn't cause the murder, sure. Okay, that sounds like it could all be chalked up to pretty innocent incompetence to me. But when you petition to have the case essentially buried from the public eye because you're worried about your image, you're no longer innocent in it. You think you are bigger than that child who lost his life? Whose like life was supposed to be in your care at the time. I'm sorry, Ryan International School, but no, you are nothing. You are nothing compared to the life of Pradyumna. Yeah. I only see this as a huge disgrace against your brand that you yeah. had this documentary banned yeah. in India. So Go straight to hell, right? Okay, so how did you have to end up being like a little documentary bandit? Where did you go to watch this movie? This documentary is not available in Netflix India or Netflix US. It can only be seen in, I believe, Netflix Singapore and Netflix Australia. So I don't know how I watched this. <laughs> you took a little vacation? I just flew to Australia. I watched it and came right back. Docucation? Yeah, that's all I'm going to say on air. But, you know. Yeah, you know what to do if you want to watch this on Netflix Australia or Netflix Singapore. Where there's a will, there's a <clears throat> VPN way. Where there's a will, there's a VPN. <laughs> What's a VPN? I don't know what a VPN is. I don't know. If the FBI is listening to me, I don't know. I don't know. CBI? I only worked in tech for 15 years. I don't know what VPN is. You don't know. I have no idea. (laughs) No idea. Yeah, so I'm going to do a very brief and quick Bollywood corner today and and do it in the same spirit as we did for Adit. Was Adit a cricket fan too? Adit was a... Soccer. Soccer fan. Yes. Yeah. He was a soccer fan. Pradyumna was a huge cricket fan, and so I picked a movie that I felt Pradyumna may have really enjoyed watching. Yeah. And there is a new movie out right now on a bunch of streaming platforms about the epic World Cup victory by the Indian team in Uh, 1983. I think my dad just watched this recently. Did he like Mm -hmm. it? Give the synopsis, and then I'll give my dad's review. So the movie stars... Two big Bollywood stars, Ranveer Singh and his real-life wife, Deepika Padukone. It's about the pivotal role that cricket star Kapil Dev played during that World Cup in 1983. It's one of those, you know, edge-of-your-seat type of sports movies, except this is true and it's real. It's not just a made-up underdog story. It's a true story, so... Movie's called 83, and now Alex is going to give you a review by her father who watched the movie recently. In Alaska, the least uh, 
cricket interested human in the world probably <laughs> watching 83 a little heavy on the soap stuff but i'm really liking the fighting spirit my dad's review <laughs> that's actually perfect that's exactly what the whole movie is a little melodramatic you know it's bollywood they gotta add in some cheese it is uh the underdog story you know you don't you don't know who's gonna win till the last ball and then <laughs> someone wins i won't tell you but you know who <laughs> um so yeah that's our bollywood corner recommendation for today the movie called 83 Thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you for being patient. I was sick for two weeks, that's, which is why this episode is delayed. It's the season. The leaves are coming back, and pollen is in the air. It's just trying time for a voice artist. <laughs> and it's still like a weird time to be alive. We're, tr we're trying to get back on the horse, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're yeah. doing our best. Check out our Instagram at Crimes from the East, our website at crimesfromtheeast.com. Support us on Patreon. We've got fun merchandise mm -hmm. to send to you if you do. Um, or you can just get Pia a cup of coffee, maybe <laughs> maybe send her some antihistamines with uh, what are the ones that they can send you coffee money for? Uh, buy me a coffee and coffee. And coffee. Yep. And if you'd like to support us in a non-monetary way, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Is that iTunes? Yeah. And you can join us again in a couple weeks for the next episode of Crimes from the East, your Desi True Crime and Strange Phenomenon podcast with a little masala, masala. and spice. spice. Okay.